Hi, and welcome to Edge with Dr. Stephen Brown. This podcast series focuses on the story, the personal narrative of Australians who have pushed at the edge. They have been pioneers who are doing amazing things that are a little bit different to the everyday. Sometimes their stories are told and well celebrated, and sometimes these stories are reasonably well hidden. Dr. Stephen Brown is a highly regarded leader in the education sector, both in Australia and internationally. He is the managing director of the Brown Collective and has a strong interest in people and getting to know their stories. He has developed this podcast series to introduce you to some of Australia's finest citizens. What's a conversation with a former teaching colleague got to do with um, our special guest today? One of my wonderful friends and uh, lifetime friends and uh, outstanding educator, Judy Morgan, sent me a text one evening about a former student. And that former student had done some incredible work. She sent me a um, YouTube or Facebook message about our guest's work in Ukraine. Our guest this morning on Edge is Wayne Sheck. So good morning, Wayne. Good morning. Thank you for uh, having me on. Yeah, it's a it's a strange world, and uh, God connects us through uh, through strange people. So uh, hoping uh, that this conversation is a blessing to people. Wayne, take us back to Harvey Bay. Growing up in Harvey Bay, born in Townsville. What was it like growing up in Harvey Bay and going to school growing up? Well, it was a sleepy little Queensland town. Um, I remember we would uh, always look at going to Maryborough as going to the big smoke, if you can imagine that. And then uh, things changed. I think uh, the world discovered that there are no waves. The only waves that are in Harvey Bay is during cyclone season. And so it's the perfect place to retire. And I think it's now become the retirement capital of, of Australia. But um, yeah, sleepy little uh, town. And I would say uh, typical Aussie country uh, up, upbringing. Uh, certainly no apps and and, uh, and other things to to stick you in front of a, a screen all the time. So um, grew up loving running. I was a suicidal cricket player and uh, that that kept me busy. I, w- I wanted to learn. So that was great. Uh, that, that helped me at school. Yeah. And during my first years, I saw a pair of F-111s fly over my house and I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force. Well, we'll come back to that. It's pretty ironic that your aspiration at the time was to be the fighter pilot and uh, where you find yourself uh, living for 28 years of your life uh, from 18. So we'll bring that back. So when did, where did um, the Lord God or your interest in uh, that or your formation around that aspect of your life uh, come into your uh, childhood, etc.? Oh, well, I uh, love adventure and uh, I wanted an exciting life. Maybe there was a bit of uh, that being brought up in the village sort of country area. I mean, we'd only ever been to to Brisbane a couple of times and so it was big and something and, and to- totally alien really. So maybe in the background there was there was a desire to to forge one one's way. Looking back now, I'm a big picture person. And I have a couple of gifts. I, I don't consider myself the sharpest tool in the in the shed. At school, I mean, I love I love learning. 
but as you as you grow i you know you don't have all the all the giftings uh, to do everything but the idea of becoming a fighter pilot was okay adventure it was prestige but it was probably deep down i was looking for something that i could devote my life to that was going to uh, make a difference in the world and uh, so that singular goal just helped me uh, in simplifying decisions that I made, apart from being a cricket player. Mum said I should do my homework. I'll get my homework done, but you know, we're going to play, me and my brother are going to play cricket for Australia. So yeah, it was a pretty simple life back then, but it, it was good. Yeah, love to learn and and I uh, wanted um, an adventure and I wanted a life that, that counted for something. You went to Mirabara Christian Academy and uh, obviously the formation and connection to uh, values and uh, the work in terms of what you currently do. Did that come came from your schooling or informed by your family background or something that you felt a calling to? I think I fell into my calling. You know, Fast forward um, a, a few years, uh, I helped with a, a church plant outside of Kiev uh, in, in Ukraine. And I, we started helping in a place that has, has, has never had a, a, a Bible application. So they've had Orthodox Christianity for a thousand years. But unlike our world, which seems to be continuing to reap dividends of uh, decisions our, our forefathers uh, have made, so I ended up in a in a place in a society that was broken, and um, looking for ways to, to to make a difference. And coming from a can-do young culture, I mean, as an Australian, uh, we are a young culture, and um, you can get things you can get things done here. It, there's not corruption on every level, and so uh, what happened is I ended up in a place that although people look pretty well the same, they think totally different. And when you dig down, you see a deep hopelessness, but uh, you're seeing things lying around that could be used as resources. And so it was during that time of, uh, I mean, I, I basically inherited a church that felt like it had 100% unemployment. And doesn't matter what you preach about, doesn't matter what you teach about, until you're going to help put bread on the table and, and um, go the journey with people, then uh, there's not going to be uh, change in them. And uh, there's no there's no future for them. So it was actually as I'm struggling with this thing of what am I to do? How do how do how does hope show itself forth here? I just basically got an understanding that my father he was an innovator and he was an artisan and he made things. With, yeah. So um, I, I grew up with him building a hovercraft in the backyard in in the garage. So that was pretty. Uh, amazing. It's quite interesting, isn't it? So from Harvey Bay, uh, land in Ukraine at 18, why pick Ukraine? Why not pick America? Why not London? Why not go the traditional pathways of young Australians? I mean, Bali, Asia, the pick out Ukraine, why? So uh, very simple. At age 17, you're looking uh, for quick fixes. Uh, so I uh, failed the medical during my application for ADFA, for the Australian Defence Force Academy. I got, yeah, I got the chicken pox. Very timely. I do know that COVID has wreaked uh, havoc on the world. But the, the illness that played the biggest role in my life was the chicken pox. So a few weeks later, I came back, did the tests, and they said, look, you, you've 
you know, you've passed everything, but we've already chosen everyone that we, that we want this year. And so come back next year, go you know, get a job, do some flight training, see the world, become a man. I don't know why they said become a man, but a 17 year old little, little kid, probably there was something to that. And so I was searching or like, okay, I've got one year to make a difference. And um, I did a deal with God. I said, God, I don't understand. I think you're not playing fair with me. So I'll give you a year of my life and you'll help me become a fighter pilot. And I thought that's what the deal was. And um, the school system that I graduated from was actually asked to come and start special curricular classes in former Soviet uh, communist schools because there was a total breakdown of, uh, of moral values. So, I mean, in, in communism, we know how, how bad communism was as an authoritarian system, but they basically took the, the Bible traits, they just took God out and then applied that, but them being the authority and eventually that uh, was, was bankrupt. And so they were looking for ways to engage people again. And this program was asked and I had just graduated. So uh, within a couple of months, I was a young volunteer just before my 18th birthday turned up in Ukraine for a brand new independent country a year and a half after independence and only seven years after Chernobyl which um, looking back now that was probably um, something that was blinded from my from my view but looking for an application as a young person to do something now and uh, yeah the the rest is is history yeah so you you were a volunteer you saw something like an ad or a an opportunity. So what what twigged you specifically to Ukraine? Yeah. So, um, um, you know, when, when the dream of your life has suddenly been seriously put on hold, you begin looking for different options. Uh, and while you're in that searching state, you're very open to, to information coming in. And it just happened to be on about three or four different directions. Ukraine just came on, uh, on the radar. And one of them was the, um, the director of the Australian program of that education system helped me put my resume together. And uh, I remember sitting in his office and he was just, you know, for more than an hour, he was talking about his son in Ukraine and uh, another Aussie guy who had formerly been in, in Nigeria. And the next thing uh, that I know that uh, I'm not getting peace and I've got I've to check this out. And then other things also came into that to that equation. And so um, being a, an activist, I learned by jumping in the deep end. And so uh, it's like, okay, let's, let's try this. And the doors opened. And back then in 1993, you could um, run around the country for a hundred us dollars and support your own ministry. And yeah, it was like arriving in the wild, in the wild west. It was certainly out of the box. And um, now 29 years on my, I have um, quite a lot of experience that uh, has helped me uh, in life and quite uh, quite unique, actually, for, for young people today. So 29 years uh, on, how would you describe yourself? I mean, I've um, had a look at how other people describe Wayne Sheck, but how would you describe yourself? Are you the pastor, Australian missionary, uh, you're a recycling entrepreneur or you're a social impact person, all of those, some of those, or something different. How would you describe yourself? Well, uh, firstly, I'm a child of God and he's transformed my life and there are values of who he is that has, um, has moved me 
to seeing world in priorities the way that that he 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 looks at the world. So I need to live not just for myself. There has to be something bigger. And I've found that as as I said, I'm an, an activist. I've got to do things. I see I see solutions to, to to problems and I then dive in as a researcher, even though I only ever finished high school. And we see what can we do with with what's around us. So pretty much an, an innovator. I uh, like to be a, a problem solver. However, I'm pretty stubborn. And in a country where, like in Australia, pretty much things work stably. So you you know the equation of this amount of money, this this is the project, this is the timeline, these are the people that you need, mm-hmm. therefore what your results are. The Ukrainian nation has gone through systematic annihilations of millions of people multiple times over the last hundred years. And what you're seeing now is just the next phase of that. And it's very difficult for uh, the Western world uh, to to understand uh, that stuff. But you're in a place where hope has been sucked away. There is no future. You can't take initiative. There's no point in trying. There's just total futility and uh, to power fear uh, culture. So the worldview of those that have power threaten and then they um, they see through that you will, you know, you'll, you know what, what do they say? You know, don't stick your head out uh, um, or it'll get chopped off sort, sort of thing. So uh, I've gone through a, a metamorphosis of being a happy-go-lucky, uh, sanguine, young Aussie can-do attitude and coming against the reality of, of something very, very different. And um, I've been able to survive there. Not sure if that answers your question uh, so much, but uh, some insights there. Uh, it does. Um, obviously, uh, this this program is very much about uh, pushing the boundaries, living on uh, at the edge and uh, arguably Ukraine historically over 100 years. I mean, 2014, for example, a revolution of uh, dignity, um, uh, continuation of uh, an unofficial war zone, I guess, uh, contested living Take us into our listeners to your eyes in living the latest. Uh, what's it like living in regional Ukraine, but also understanding um, the impact on your people of uh, a war? So, um, as you know, more than 6 million people have uh, fled the country, and internally, we have more than 8 million internally displaced people. So a little country town of 15,000 like mine has now doubled and um, more than two-thirds of all kids are now displaced. Uh, more than 50% of everyone who has a, had a job before the war is now at least temporarily unemployed. Uh, the GDP is forecast to decrease by 35 to 50%. And um, I'm, I don't remember the timeline, but they're predicting that if the war continues the way that it is, 90% of Ukrainians will need aid. So that's a pretty devastating picture. But unlike many involved in the type of work that we do, um, we stayed. Uh, we were also prepared. And basically, as you'd mentioned, the revolution of dignity pretty well set the stage. So Ukraine's been through two revolutions now. The first one was peaceful and bloodless, and the second one had, you know, more than a hundred people shot in the 
in, in, in the main street. And um, that's when I, that's when I cried. I cried for weeks that day. I uh, in in 2014, I went into the center of Kiev and extracted um, short-term missionaries and took them to the airport and uh, got them on the flights and then came home and couldn't sleep. And I just cried for weeks. And then it was like Goliath has been slain. Uh, sorry to talk in biblical terms, but then the Titanic appears uh, with the Crimea being uh, annexed. And suddenly you realize that it, this is just the beginning. It's just the tip of the iceberg. And so the, the point for me is that if what is happening now happened in 2014, Ukraine would have been crushed under the weight of all that. But I have seen an amazing set of coincidences that I cannot describe any other way apart from miraculous preparation. And so the, the revolution of dignity started with a mafia president doing the same types of things. He was enslaving the entire economy to himself, and that's what we see with, the, with our northern neighbours. And then uh, there was some protests about um, an association agreement that, was, that he decided to, uh, to, to put on hold. Students, they, they um, protested it. And, and then it all was dissipating, but he sent in the riot troops. And from that point, that was a powder keg moment. A million people took to the streets, and then basically over the next months, through threats and all sorts of stuff, he basically created and galvanized the people to withstand his corruption and, and that, that oppression to the point that when the Russians came into Crimea, we now have a force of people. It was a self-motivating, self-managing, self-organizing people with a goal that we want a new future. And so you're actually seeing eight years on an intensive uh, line or a, you know, what it was, you know, learning curve that in the insanity of a full scale invasion. And like to, to give you the context, this is the largest thing that could possibly have happened shy of nuclear, biological and chemical warfare. And in that insanity, and we were prepared for it um so we had contingency plans but um we had been encouraged to leave the australian government after the us government had told its uh, diplomats and people to leave the australian government called us you know weekly and i'm very thankful for that representation and we said look we are staying these are our plans and uh, thank you for your concern but we were able to uh, stay in a safe place and then from there in that in that flooding, being here in in the Queensland where we've had three floods uh, in the last uh, you know few few months, I think they what is it they say the the one in five hundred year flood has happened three times in the last six months. So we know if there's flooded water, don't go in there. Well, when you're in the flooded water, you have very little power. You can only try to hang on uh, as you can. But then what we saw was everybody, whatever position they were in, those fleeing for safety uh, were being looked after. Like we all did that little tiny thing despite the immense pressure. And it was like a fabric being created, everyone doing what they want. And I say with, with then God's empowerment of this unity, it, this new tapestry was able to withstand. 
the force of, of the evil that, that you're seeing. And, and the world has, was shocked. It was supposed to be a three-day annihilation and it's turned into, you know, 160 days now. And uh, the Ukrainian people will not, they will, they will not step down for this because it's not about land. It's about, it's about the intent of total enslavery to the point of wiping their legacy as a nation from the history books. And so there's no, there's no way back for them. And I have the sad privilege of being with this people going through the this transformational process and um you know the the christian doctrine is very easy it says greater love has no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends and we have seen that massively across the whole spectrum and my group of believers the people that i associate with no matter where they ended up with you are seeing them everyone doing whatever they can using all their connections all their abilities and we're seeing you know, a miraculous stand so i because of watching that for the last eight years and being involved with that we stayed because we believe that we've been prepared for this and me being an innovator i'm there now thinking beyond aid i'm thinking into what does sustainability in a war look like for those people who have been fighting their war, whatever they can do. So for us, it's humanitarian, it's spiritual aid, it's looking after people. How do I play my role in connecting the West to continue to help, to continue to pray? I mean, we have the resources, but uh, looking into, yeah, what? Uh, how, how do we empower them to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus? in an extended um, crisis that's only going to increase in, uh, in the impact that it's having and has affected the world. It brings me to my next question, Wayne. You're, you're a person of God and Jesus. How do you rationalise um, the inhumanity, Ukrainian people, Russians um, invading a country and going through all what we get reported as, um, you know, I mean, quite incredible that um, one human being, I know it's been happening since time began, but I just uh, can't rationalise. But how do you rationalise that from your faith-based or, or can you see uh, God working in a way that can contribute to an understanding of the situation? Um, yeah, the big question. Yeah. One one of the big questions, and one of the reasons we're in Australia right now is to uh, give thanks to the people that have prayed and and have given uh, so responsibly. Australia has played a big role, and it's and it's really struck a chord with the with the Australian people. Uh, just a couple of things. Probably the first thing I say won't won't be really enjoyed. So, in the West, after the Second World War, because of the absolute you know, the, the the size and scale of the destruction of what happened in the Second World War with, you know, tens of millions and, and the West basically said never again. So in that never again time, there was a, an, uh, you know, a stalemate sort of, of tension between the Soviet Union and the West. But as that crumbled, we continued to live in in a, I'll say, an unnatural period of peace. And so we, 
have grown like in Australia, we have never been invaded. We only hear of it over there. Only a few people know how close the Japanese came. Um, we only send our soldiers overseas. And so we're totally removed from what history has done. And I mean, when, when I teach you the Bible, we show that generation after generation, there were wars. This is what humankind does to each other. And we are living in an unnatural time of peace, so much so that as we've become more and more affluent, you know, so we are the richest generation, richest civilization that the world has ever known on, on mass. And then when these things happen, it really, it really challenges our worldview, but all over the world, you can go to places and, and it continues. And, and this is what humans do to do to each other. So that's one side of it. And the, the, the other side is we, you know, we analyze the Holocaust and we analyze the second world war and we know about the Nazis and one of the things that had to happen for genocide to take place was to totally dehumanize someone that you were going to kill. And so it was the propaganda was sown in over a long pe period of time, hate, and then it has to be a big lie that is perpetuated and then you deal with all other information, uh, you know, you eliminate that. And when you're stewing in those juices, then it becomes much easier to do the things that you uh, that you've seen now in history, and so for the Russian people, as I said, Aussies are a you know can-do country. Um, we're a young culture, and uh, that is you know, who we are: happy-go-lucky. She'll be right, mate. That goes really well, and Aussie sense of humour has really served me well. If you take Americans, for instance, growing up in the US, they cannot help but think of themselves in terms of they are a superpower. I'm not saying that you have to be a, a chauvinistic American imperialist, but you grew up thinking that, um, you know, you, th that had influence on your, on your worldview. Same thing is in that part of the world where I now live, that you have, you've had a, a Russian empire. They were an empire. Then they became the Soviet Union, and then it, and then it grew. And it became, and it was a, it was a, a dictatorship. And then when everything fell apart, things got bad as it was all rip, ripped apart. People lost hope and whatever. And then very shortly, you have a new guy coming in, and he's a KGB guy. And then he slowly builds that back. And in certain areas, he has brought some sort of prosperity. But as he is renewing the the faith in the, the locals, that they are a great nation, that they are uh, they should be an empire, that their military can never be defeated, and you've got this self-perpetuating, like it's a catch-22 situation where you have, you know, this guy's saying this and they're saying yes, sir, and, 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 then, it, and then it goes on. And then as, as you see as, a, as a, a dictator, after you've been given all power and uh, you've taken out all opposition, and there are no other voices apart from the voices you want to hear, people will not tell you the truth because um, they, uh, they were fear of, uh, of being uh, dealt with. And then uh, what, do you, what do they say? That um, uh, power corrupts people and then absolute power corrupts people absolutely. So you're living in a virtual world totally by yourself and um, the rest is, uh, is history. So the Ukrainian people are looked at as a territory that must belong to them and therefore, um, 
you have to dehumanize them and you do that in, in, in the classical way and you're seeing atrocities happen in the way they are in real time uh, on, your, on your screens. Well, um, that's a great insight, great perspective. I've obviously very much uh, spent a lot of my life professionally looking at leadership and leaders and uh, helping and supporting leaders. Um, the current president of Ukraine is um, just reading a story yesterday or last evening. He was on a Zoom meeting with some 21 universities throughout Australia exchanging so what's your observation of him and uh, the leadership he's displaying and moving to when you look at leaders, what do you think of those important things that leaders should display as essential things? In a war, things become very simple, right? You, uh, you keep, keep, keep think, things simple. As I said, you know, when you've got this flood happening, you can only look after yourself and you may be able to do one do one one thing, and and then you do that, and then if you can, you go you go to the the you know the next. So he, you know, no matter what you think about him, he has been placed in this position at this time, and uh, he's inspired the world with a very gutsy, uh, down to earth um, uh, leadership style. So he is leading the country, but. He is riding on the values that the, the society is, is wanting. So this drive for freedom so, uh, is, is a major force that is within Ukrainian society. So if he got up today and says, okay, we're going to cut a deal with the Russians and the, we'll end the fighting, you would find that uh, he would be ousted very quickly. So um, he is influencing, leadership does influence and there's been some amazing uh, things. I think I, I probably share uh, two. Um, you you know that he was offered uh, by several governments to be evacuated in the very beginning of the war when it was imminent. It was it was it was a done deal that within a few days the country would be over overrun. And there were actually three or four gun battles that took place in the presidential area as insurgents and special forces were sent in. And he said, you know, I don't need a way out. I, I need weapons. And he actually told the, the staff there, stop this, you know, getting away from the point, hand out guns to my staff. So you've got administrational staff, probably <laughs> like these guys. <laughs> but that whole, and then he says to the parliament, he says something like, and I wish I had a better translation. It's like, not many of us in history or history doesn't, give the opportunity for many people in our position to lay down their lives for their country. And that was like a catch cry that even as the missiles were coming in, they were making decisions in parliament that released the people to do what they needed to do. And so there was a trusting of the people to do that. And so you, what, what you're seeing, so Ukraine is known as Europe's second most corrupt country, right? That's why you wouldn't invest in it. Now what is it? it is, it's inspiring the world um, with its heroism and, and innovation and, and what it can do with a, sh a shoestring uh, budget and, and resources. So you've got, within that, you've got a great context of transformation taking place after the war, but now also during the war because it's going, going on so, so long. So people are being released 
to do what they need to do. And he actually is concentrating on what a president needs to do. Unlike the other side, where everything is being controlled top down and uh, right to the brigade and, and the squad level almost. That's not how you win wars. In Ukraine, uh, he surrounded himself, and I would say almost miraculously, with the right people to release those commanders to do what they needed to do on the military on the military front and and he's concentrating on the very things that he needs to do so hopefully there's something that you can you can dig out of that well very much so uh powerful messages there like trust identifying the people uh, supporting them and releasing them to do the work they need to do that's good work with teams having a sense of inspiration and aspiration giving to other people being selfless uh, in terms of looking for the greater or common good fabulous insights wayne just to transition to your arguably one of your other passions i mean we'll get to the last one which uh cricket but um the community transformation that sort of fits with what we're talking about from the president to your work this whole sense of your own father but you, you know what i'm picking up with your dna is to see an opportunity and look at how you can repurpose something for a greater good or seeing gold when other people don't see much value in things at all so take us into your world with this whole Christian enterprise in terms of change, impact. So any thoughts around what your work is in that area? Uh, yeah. Um, sorry to spiritualize it again, but basically in a country where you can't get hold of, of money, you've got to do what you can with the little that you've got. I'm not the world's best marketer. I'm, I'm a down-in-the-dirt sort of guy. And we say that you can't build a, a nice building until you put a foundation in, or you can't put a foundation until you've dredged the swamp. So I've ended up in this swamp. And I, I would have to say that along uh, with small application and, and, and doing things and retrying things, there's been enough newness and enough success to keep me going. So I'm not a, I'm not a maintainer. I'm a, I'm a trailblazer. But you've got to have something that you're that you're you're seeing, otherwise you'll 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 give up. And we've done multiple attempts, and, and we've learned a lot about the local um, psyche and the 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 business ethics and um and how the the politics work. So it's been a it's been a learning curve for us. But um, basically, uh, the. The thing is, we the resources that are around us, or all that we have access to, are things that are are discarded, and people are doing other things. So we've thought, okay, if we can harness these things, things that society doesn't need, however, in time they begin to see that these things are a problem, and the politicians want to do the big things, and they want to control all the money, and that. So I'm a very practical, down to earth, helping the people in. In their perceived needs and and through that actually i can say that the interest in what i'm doing uh has very little to do with the fact that i'm a missionary or i'm a westerner um and that it's actually the fact that we're dealing with the environment that they now are not afraid to talk about which happened in, during the revolution of of dignity that people can finally ask for transparency or accountability or where's our money going why is this not being dealt with? 
So um, people don't want to be told a big story. They want to see practical application now of solutions. And by us being solution providers, it's giving other people hope that that can then be taken around around uh, the the country. But basically, I wanted to uh, by by seeing um, problems that we could then become solution providers for. But doing it, unlike my father, who was an artisan, so he could think of the idea, study it, and then do it with his own hands. I can't do it with my own hands. I need a team. I need somebody. And um, God's brought in the right people to move us along a journey. So the current project is uh, turning um, different types of waste through the pyrolysis process, which is heating up waste in the absence of oxygen, where as it breaks down, it breaks down to a, a liquid, a solid, and a gas. And uh, then those are uh, much more environmentally friendly things that can be either uh, dealt with there or they can be turned into a resource that is marketable. So, you know, uh, do you cook with gas uh, for your barbecue or do you use heat beads? If you use heat beads, basically it's the pyrolysis process for biomass. And and that's great. You know, basically a flameless, uh, almost almost smokeless process that you can that you can cook on and you get lots of heat from it well we've we're concentrating now on on plastics so most plastics come from oil and um they're not going to decompose and in places where there are no waste processing basically the plastic gets thrown onto the biomass waste out on the street with that has high moisture content burns terribly and then they throw the plastics on well burning plastic everyone knows what that what that is like so by us creating a small technology um, that deals with not only improving the ecological situation but it is it is very is very visible and on on top of that it's providing jobs that are safe for people and then you're building a community together and that's a beautiful thing. That's really, that's really what I want to see. I want to see the little guys who are so far removed from any possibility of, you know, like changing the world that we can work together in their small town to create a new future. And then from the overflow of that, we can then together decide where we're going to project our, our values and our beliefs into the local community and I'm not one of those people that believes that there's a, a dichotomy between the, with the spiritual and the secular. I think God created us body, mind, and spirit. It's all interwoven, and therefore every part of what we, what we do, um, you know, it, it 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 can be it's it's social, it's it's emotional, it's spiritual, and it's physical and 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 material as well as as well as spiritual. And we're seeing lives transformed, and that's what I that's what I want to do as we bring. Uh, bring create so- solutions do the journey with people with then we see things being solved i was the catalyst that was used but i'm i'm there and people get empowered and that's what i want to see is people taking ownership i want i want them getting out of the quagmire and raising their their eyes and then starting to set goals and achieving and of course this goes back to the very heart of the history of where the ukrainian people have been suffering for so long that they need to become, they need to move from being victims to being free. And in that process, you're seeing a metamorphosis and the and the flow on that happens around it. And I think that fits in perfectly with the way that I was I was created and my 
through my father, those genes were passed to me. Wayne, uh, such an inspiration. Just uh, by the by, I mean, that's exemplified by uh, the captain. You're a self-confessed cricket tragic. I'm a self-confessed cricket tragic myself. So uh, so much of that, uh, who would have thought Ukraine cricket? I think it's just uh, a natural fit. Why doesn't every country play uh, cricket? But uh, being the captain or the coach, uh, captain coach, fantastic. Another exemplification of your innovative mind. Wayne Sheck, you are truly a wonderful inspiration to many of us. Uh, we thank you. Thank you for lifting people up, uh, walking with, being so humble, but also obviously so resilient on behalf of a greater good. It's a, quite ironic that somebody would um, have an aspiration to be a fighter pilot, but now finds himself placed in a very, very interesting um, war zone and working with people on the edge. So we thank you, my friend, uh, on behalf of so many for bringing the sense of your world and what drives you to helping so many others and uh, providing that necessary inspiration and hope when times are fairly dark, but we applaud you. So thanks, Wayne, very much. Thanks a lot. It was great to talk today. Thank you for joining us today. You can follow Dr. Stephen Brown on LinkedIn and Twitter on at Dr. Stephen Brown One. Please join us next time for another episode of Edge.